Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode is monitored by Garmin. If you're sick of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, Garmin gives you up to 11 days of battery life on a single charge. So if you want a smartwatch that stays on your wrist and not on your charger, head to garmin.com.au to find out more and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now here's our podcast. On today's episode, I interview fitness professional turned educator and mentor Jen Dugard about the importance of female-specific fitness. Early on in her career, Jen was one of the first trainers to work hand-in-hand with women's health physiotherapists and begin to change the landscape of how mums were looked after within the fitness industry. Recognizing the need to reach more mums, Jen made the transition to educating trainers. Jen's MumSafe membership is a revolution to the fitness industry and she wants to share her mission to ensure all mums are looked after safely and effectively across the fitness industry. On today's episode, we discuss why women need to train differently to men, how to vet your trainer to ensure they know how to train women, red flags to watch out for from trainers, why strength training is so important for females, why our pelvic floor matters and how we can strengthen our pelvic floor and the best ways that busy and overwhelmed mums can commence exercise. So let's dive into today's episode with Jen, who you can follow on her Instagram account at Jen Dugard or her website, jendugard.com. Welcome to the podcast today, Jen. We're very excited to have you on the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. Thank you for having me, Leanne. I'm super excited to be here. Wonderful. Well, let's start, I guess, with the basics. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your background and how you got into the area of, I guess, female-specific fitness? Yeah, it's, it's been nearly 15 years. So I'm like, how do I condense this down into something very small? But I will do my best. <laughs> um, so I have been a personal trainer. I, I entered the fitness industry in about 2006 as a personal trainer and moved into working only with mums in 2008. I was going to say 2010, but no, 2008 when my son was born. Mm-hmm. Um, I started life as a, I guess, that that journey as a PT running group exercise with on-site childcare specifically for mums in Sydney's Centennial Park. Mm-hmm. I did that for a decade and along that journey developed a personal trainer um, certification called Safe Return to Exercise because I, I realised I wanted to reach more mums, mm-hmm. um, didn't want a licence, didn't want a franchise, um, so created that, that certification and then then more recently we've we've launched the MumSafe brand which brings together exercise professionals that are all on a mission to change the way mums are looked after in in one space so how I got in I became a mum <laughs> and everything's evolved from there <laughs> I love that and what was I guess the catalyst or what was the reason or that burning desire to create a MumSafe program was it things that you were seeing within the industry that you were like oh this just isn't okay or there was just not enough knowledge from PTs out there yeah, the I guess the early days. My my original business was called Body Beyond Baby, and and that really, 
I guess was timely in the fact that I had a baby. He was three months old and I was on my own. What I called back then, get your body back. I don't believe in that language anymore, Mm. but I was 27 at the time and I had a very different outlook on um, I guess fitness and my own my own body image. So the the start of the business and and that thrust me into that space. Mm. Um, and then as it's developed, it definitely kind of well. What you just said was probably hit the nail on the head. There's not enough programs out there that are specifically for mums and are doing it right. So you might have somebody that is running a 9.30 session, which is pitched at mums because that's an ideal time for mums to train, mm. but maybe they're not doing it maybe they don't have qualifications or maybe they don't have things in place that means that they could do it to the best of their ability. So MumSafe ensures that the trainers that are MumSafe trainers are doing everything um, to the best of their ability and raising that standard for for mums in the industry. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I had my bub, I just thought, you know, I've I've you know been training consistently for the better part of ten years now, and I was like, I'll just have my bub pop her out, get into some walking, jump straight back into the gym. Yep. Little did I know that I needed minimum, I think, eight weeks with my pelvic floor physio, just to sort of like work things out. And then when she was like, Yeah, you can't go back to the squat bar straight away. She's like, You just need to start with like, you know, body weight squats. And I was like, Nah, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know how much things hurt and how much you can lose that muscle mass over time, and how things just change after you have a baby. Absolutely. I think that journey is a very um, common one Mm. for a postpartum woman. I love the fact that you did see a pelvic floor physio and you did get that guidance because there's still a lot of women out there that that don't. And Mm. and we have this preconception that you have your six-week checkup, everything's fine, or your six-week checkup gives you that tick of approval. And then because we're not guided through a a return to exercise or, you know, we refer to a safe return to exercise – Women don't know what they don't know. So they simply jump back into doing what they were doing before they fell pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you'd have been a mum who had a ACL reconstruction or any other kind of surgery, there'd probably be a rehab plan and a return to exercise plan and a gradual you know, rebuilding of that base strength before you return to what you were doing beforehand. And, and that message is it's filtering through a lot more now, but it's definitely not, um, it's not general knowledge for every mum. Mm, absolutely, which it should be and why we're so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So I guess talking about mums, talking about females, why do women need to train differently to males? I mean, it's it's obvious we're, we're different you know, people, we have periods, we have hormones, we have babies, but when it comes to training and exercise, what are the big differences? Yeah, I mean, one big thing to, to understand for the majority of um, trainers or mums is a lot of the training that we're taught in our Cert 3 and 4 is based on male um, male bodies, so that's just that's a good kind of takeaway. Um, so if we're if we're a female looking to train, making sure that our trainers have some education in training women. Now I kind of see this as is it's it's a together thing, but there's two parts. There's the training mums side of things, and obviously mums are women mm. um, or often identify as being women, um, and then you've got the training women. That sits on two sides. Now, my speciality lies in the the pre and postnatal specific space, mm-hmm. um, and we can talk. We can delve deep into that. But there's also the awareness, um, you know, around female specific training, whether they've had babies or not had babies. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding your cycle. The research is not a massive amount of si- massive amount of research in this space, but mm-hmm. there's definitely a rise in you know understanding where you're at in your cycle, understanding what hormones are at play, understanding when your 
potentially going to have better strength gains versus Mm. times in your programming where you might want to slow down and do yoga. And I think as women, we, I mean, for years, we either shut that stuff down, like the way that we feel in our body when we train, Mm. we shut it down and we have this mentality of let's just get on with it. Um, Or we don't understand why we don't feel as energized throughout our whole, I guess, cycle. Um, So starting to understand that can be really, really important. There's a there's a wonderful trainer and educator, Nadia Norman, who delves really deep into training to your cycle and training when you get into perimenopause and menopause and things like that. And then my stuff really complements in that pre and postnatal space of, you know, what when you're having your period, estrogen is low. So maybe your pelvic floor is going to be weaker at that point. And mm. let's track that when we're looking at pelvic floor symptoms in a postpartum woman um, and see if that kind of fits and then weave it, weave it all in together and adjust your exercise accordingly. So it's such a massive topic. And yeah. I, we're just in those kind of kind of early stages. Yeah, um, yeah. But I would hugely encourage every woman to start to, you know, tracking your period is a good place to start. Um, if you've had a baby, understanding your pelvic floor, understanding your abdominal wall, um, understanding any other of the postpartum things that could have or anything that's different in your body that doesn't feel the same as it it was. Um, or even our younger women, we have women who have what we call hypertonic pelvic floors, mm-hmm. so they're mm-hmm. too tight. Mm-hmm. Um, women are training to a higher level than they've ever done before and our younger women are getting, well, all of our women, but our younger women are getting fitter and stronger and a lot of them are winding their pelvic floors up and never have the education around we need to learn how to relax your pelvic floor or relax your muscles as well as contract them. So if we jump ahead 10 years into the future and we've got the 18-year-old women having babies at 28 potentially Mm. and they've never been taught about the importance of, you know, yes, pelvic floor contraction because we're told to contract, 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 but we're never told about relaxing. Well, when this young woman tries to push a baby out, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, can she do that? Because mm-hmm. babies need to go through our pelvic floors. So there's so many angles that we could <laughs> we could go into. Absolutely. And that was one of the things I, um, I guess, struggled with as well because I remember I first went and saw a pelvic health physio around maybe I'd say a 16-week mark because yep. I was getting a little bit of pelvic Perfect. pain. And I said, can you just check that I'm doing, you know, like my Kegels right? And she's like, you are, you are, but you're too tight. Like you're, you're turning it on too tight and you're not releasing it properly. Yep. And I guess that was from my years of strength training as well. I was always tight to, you know, suck it in, hold that pelvic floor tight and then drop into that squat. And so for me, you're right, I was I was over tight in some of those areas and I did sort of struggle with, with some of my birth as well. So it's funny how so many of these things are interconnected and you kind of don't find out about them to a little bit too late. Absolutely. And it's interesting with pelvic floor because I was very similar to you, except I didn't see a pelvic health physio before my first was born because I didn't even understand. I didn't know back then. Mm. Mm. And during after I gave birth to him, the obstetrician said to me, your pelvic floor was too strong. Mm -hmm. And I was like, sweet, awesome. Like kind of walked (laughs) out going, well, that was hard because I'm super strong. What he should have said was your pelvic floor was too tight. Now a tight pelvic floor is still a weak pelvic floor because it's not able to move through its Mm. full range of motion. So to be functionally strong, we want to move through that full range of motion. So I think in the fitness industry, we've, we've, whether it's pelvic floor or anything else, it's like tighter is better. And it's like, well, Mm. is it really? Because is tighter functionally strong? Maybe not, or probably not. So yeah, it's, it's 
being aware of language, especially when we're working with women, I think is is important as well. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, there's so much, and as you said, so much of it is sort of more of that emerging science as well. So as far as you know, are they teaching this sort of stuff? If you go and you get your standard, um, you know, personal training certificate, are we talking about women? Are we talking about postnatal? Are we talking about, um, you know, pelvic floors? Is that something that's being discussed or is that like a sort of an upskilling in terms of certifications? Yeah, the short answer is no. Um, it's funny that you ask that specific question. I'm sitting in this space a lot, doing a lot of research because mm. I've oscillated between you know, in our cert three and four, which is the the certification that we do, should should a personal trainer be taught about pre and postnatal exercise? Now, mm. there's one part of me that says absolutely we should because there's further research to say that 42 percent of a new graduate's personal training clients will be a mother when we look at different statistics of how many women are using our gyms and fitness facilities and then how many women so there's research from or statistics from 2016 that tell us that 77 percent of women over the age of 15 will be a mother in Australia and you weave that into statistics that tell us that in 2020 there was 4.35 million women and mums using gyms and fitness facilities which translates into about 3.35 million mums alone Mm -hmm. So that then tells me that we should be teaching our new graduates or our graduate or our you know cert three and four trainers pre and postnatal exercise, but are they ready for specific deep dives into pre and postnatal? So maybe what needs to be done at that cert three and four level is take them from you don't know what you don't know, so unconscious incompetence to mm. conscious incompetence mm. at that level and go, if you want to delve further into this here's the further education that you can do in this space Mm. or here's the way that you can keep your mum safe within your scope of practice and your level of knowledge at this time. Mm. So the short answer is no. What we do about it is an interesting journey that I'm delving into at the moment, speaking to RTOs, speaking to mums themselves, doing the research and and how do we raise that awareness. I love that. And hats off to you. You're doing an incredible job in this space. It's exciting. It's so exciting. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) It's hard, but it's exciting. Hard to get the buy-in from all the people Mm, that we need buy-in from. Um, But I think the the more women and an opportunity to speak to you and your audience, so the more mums that go, oh, but I need my trainer to have these qualifications, the more that those people that are part of the RTOs or, you know, big franchisees that are owning the space where a lot of our mums are going to, but mm. they're not not doing it, they're not onboarding in the, the best possible way and they're not prescribing exercise in the best possible way. So the more mums that ask for that, the more the message comes in at all angles, which is so important. Mm, so important. All right, so how do we vet our trainer to ensure that they are trained specifically for female fitness or even more specifically for pre or postpartum training? Yep, awesome. I love this question. So you, the number one thing you can do is ask what further education that they've got post-cert three and four. Um, if they say they've got a pre and postnatal certificate, I'd probably ask them how long it took them to do it. There's a few courses out there that might just be like an hour or three hours. Mm. So that's going to give them the basics, which is good. They've done something, but you know, how have they done a specific? So I'd say over over like at least a day if not ideally two days worth of continuing education in the pre and postnatal space um they can that is registered through Ausactive, which is the um the registration body of the fitness industry here in australia um they could ask if they've done any female specific training so i mentioned nadia earlier on she has a course called female health performance if you've got a trainer if your trainer's done a course like that or there's another um 
coach Stacey, Stacey Sims mm. or Girls Gone Strong. Mm. They're all certifications that teach about female-specific training. Um, so that's one, one place that a, I guess a woman can ask about education. If we dive further into pre- and postnatal, you can pretty much tell by the pre-exercise questionnaires that the questions that they ask you before you start to exercise. So our standard three questions are, have you had a baby in the last 12 months, mm -hmm. which is flawed in itself because maybe your baby's five and you still have pelvic floor stuff going on. Mm, exactly. The next question is, did you have your six-week checkup? They say yes. And then the next question is, do you feel okay? And you go, yeah, I feel cool. I feel great. I'm fine. So then if they're the only three questions that your trainer asks you, they probably haven't done any further education in the pre- and postnatal space. Mm. Um, a trainer that is educated in pre- and postnatal is going to ask you about your birth experience. They're going to ask you, did you have a vaginal delivery? Did you have a C-section? If you had a C-section, was it a planned C-section? Was it an emergency C-section? Were you pushing beforehand? Mm. If you had a vaginal delivery, they're going to ask how long you were pushing for. Did you have any stitches, episiotomy, mm. tearing, all of those questions, and then they're going to delve deeper into tell me about your pelvic floor. And then ideally they're going to help you to externally learn how to switch on your pelvic floor. So there's only so much that we as exercise professionals can do through touch and feel um, without the further support of a women's health physio, but we can get hands-on and give you basic guidelines around pelvic floor activation, transverse abdominal activation. We can check you for abdominal separation. And an educated PT will then say, and here's the details of my women's health physiotherapist that I partner with so that you can go and get further support. I can learn what's going on on the inside. You can learn what's going on on the inside and then I can properly prescribe exercise to you. So if that's not your experience, I would probably look for somebody else. Mm. Um, but also then hats off to the PT that says, you know what, I don't have further education, um, but here's a great PT that I know that mm. can do that. So yeah, we don't all have to be, definitely don't have to be experts in this space. We do need a, a sound general knowledge of where where our education ends, what our scope of practice is, and if we're the best possible trainer to look after a woman at any given time. Absolutely. And forgive me for saying this, but I feel like the PT space is rife with, they never want to refer on. They will do things outside of the scope, I feel, time and time again. So what are some red flags we really need to watch out for? If the PT goes, oh, okay, cool, you had a baby. I've had some experience with that. Great, let's go. Um, what would you say are some red flags that you would kind of go, oh, hold on, let me take a step back. Should you really be doing that? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, one of them is always like if a PT starts talking about diet and I hear that over and over again in my gym and I know these PTs don't have the qualifications needed to be prescribing. Some of them are writing meal plans for their clients, yeah. which is absolutely outside of scope. So what would you say besides, you know, writing meal plans if they didn't have those qualifications, what would you say were some red flags besides like that really good quality questionnaire at the start, which, you know, tells us that they really do know what they're talking about and they care as well, which I think yep. is important. What would you say are some things where you probably should go, oh, I'm not really sure about that, or maybe let me just hunt around and, and check out a few other trainers just in case? Yeah, I think um, one thing I would like to kind of raise awareness of as we have this conversation is the majority of PTs, the majority, don't know what they don't know, and they're doing the best possible job with the education that they've got right now. Mm. Um, there are some other PTs, and I think the the um, this fear factor around referring on is often seen in brand new trainers that haven't yet been exposed to a philosophy of collaboration over competition, and the fact that you know they're operating out of a scarcity mindset, mm. so they're trying to do all the things because they're scared if they refer refer on they're going to lose that person. But the yeah. reality is, if they refer on, they're probably going to keep 
the person. And then once you learn that as a trainer, it's so, such a relief to understand that you don't need to do everything. So that I think that's a really good kind of awareness to have. Mm. Um, in terms of the specific question around red flags, some of the things for me would be um, if you tell your trainer that you're leaking or something that doesn't feel right and they say, oh, you've had a baby, that's normal. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, it's very common um, but it's not normal to live with for the rest of your life. So I think that's a really, if, if any of the things that you tried to try to bring to light are kind of brushed off, then that to me would be a big red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, other things could be if they, obviously if they don't ask any further questions, if they just have um, a one-size-fits-all program, so let's say you're doing a, tr- a class um, and there's no progressions or regressions mm-hmm. offered to the class, mm-hmm. I think that's that's a red flag. Um I think the go hard or go home message is also a red flag. We really need to be creating safe spaces for people to exercise at an intensity that is right for them on any given day. So a great trainer will give permission to the people within their class environment to, you know, you know, this exercise is supposed to be done at a, or ideally is done at a nine out of 10. Um, if you're not feeling a nine out of 10 today, well, you can do this exercise at a seven out of 10, or instead of doing a jump, you can do a body weight squat. Mm. Or if you're looking after your pelvic floor or you've got knee pain or you've got anything else, here's your alternative exercise. Um, better to that, a, a great trainer will probably start with the regression first. So they might do the squat and then offer the jump squat as a progression so that that person that needs the, the squat doesn't feel like they're not keeping up with other people. So um, the biggest red flag would be not creating a safe environment for women to talk about things that are going on and then brushing off things that they bring up. The other stuff, I think, you know, the progressions and regressions definitely need to be there, but Mm. they do come with the experience um, of a trainer being able to provide different things in in one exercise environment. Yeah, I love that. And just saying some of those red flags, I've definitely had two types of trainers in my life and you can tell when they're more of that new grad. And as you said, they just don't know what they don't know versus such an experienced trainer where they go, all right, let's start here. How does that feel? All right, let's progress up. Let's try this. Does that feel good? Great. Let's try this one now. Oh, that's a bit too hard. Let's back it off and do the middle one. Absolutely. So absolutely those progressions, like you can tell when they've got that experience, can't you? which is so nice and it's the same with the the referrals like the the experienced trainer doesn't care about referring on a client one because they know that there's so many people out there that need looking after and they're Mm. confident in their ability to attract more clients and two because their best interest is the client so if if I'm not the right trainer I'm going to send my client to the physio to go do physio led pilates for x amount of time and that client's probably going to come back to me and she's also going to refer five of her friends because I didn't try and hold on to her so there's that yeah I don't it's fascinating to watch exactly and it's a give and take because if you refer on they'll refer back and it's Absolutely. a beautiful like reciprocal relationship and we have that within the dietetic world as well yeah I mean pediatrics is one of those things where we don't really learn a whole lot in university about that we learn the basics but if someone came to me and said hey my kid my um, baby has an allergy I'd say absolutely not that is not my area here's three dietitians that I really absolutely. trust so yeah, yeah I really like how you said you don't know what you don't know but I think it's so important to educate I guess during the training area which is is exactly what you're trying to do when we do need to refer and when something is actually out of scope for us. Yes, 100%. 
wonderful. Let's take a quick healthy break and a quick breather. If you have a smartwatch, check your stats. If you had a Garmin, you'd be able to check your health stats for up to 11 days on one charge. It's a smartwatch that spends more time on your wrist and less time on charge. So if you're tired of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, get a Garmin. Wearing your smartwatch for longer could give you a more complete picture of your health. A Garmin can help you manage your stress levels with relaxation reminders and short breathing activities when your watch detects that you're stressed. It can monitor your energy levels throughout the day so you can find the best times for activity and rest. And it also has a hydration tracking tool that allows you to log your daily fluid intake. Now you can do more on a single charge. See which Garmin suits you at garmin.com.au and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now let's get back to our show. All right. Well, talking about uh, training for females specifically, mm-hmm. what are some of your favorite moves that we can do in the gym? Or what are some of the back to basics things that I think will benefit all types of females? All types of females and males for this one. So okay. men have pelvic floors as well. Mm-hmm. So even just learning whether you've had babies, not had babies, had babies 10 years ago, um, if there are any men listening, um, understanding your pelvic floor is such a great, so your pelvic floor transverse abdominis, um, a really really good I guess it's a foundation that a lot of people forget about so we have this awareness of pelvic floor after we have babies but what if we learned about it before we had babies maybe if we were activating from the inside out then our deadlift would be stronger or we could hold a plank for longer and all that kind of you know that that strength strength based stuff Mm. Um, but aside from my passion around pelvic floor (laughs) and abdominal wall um, I love a chin up for a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I love a progression into a chin-up and a chin-up done really, really well. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those moves that um, or one of those exercises that a lot of women feel like they can't do, mm-hmm. maybe because they've never been taught how to do it well and to really contract our back muscles rather than our, you know, moving from our biceps and it's we feel like it's all in our arms and our shoulders. Mm-hmm. It should be a, a really great you know, back exercise, um, adding to your chin up, then a row, like we all want to, you know, we want to have great posture. So making sure that we've got a real good, strong back for Mm -hmm. me is really important. And especially if your progression as a, your journey as a, as a woman is to become a mother. Um, if we can keep our backs nice and strong, when we, all of a sudden we have this, this weight coming forwards. Um, I think a lot of people forget about their back. So like really good rowing exercise, whether they're lighter rows or, or heavier rows, rows as you, as you move forward. Um, and then the other thing that comes to mind is really good, strong squats and lunge patterns. Mm. Um, I go back to basics all the time, work on my squats, work on my deadlifts, work on my lunges. Um, yeah. And then I guess you could throw a push up, push up in for good measure, but I would always go like legs and back. If I had to choose between pushing movements versus pulling, yeah. I would always go like two back exercises to, to one, one pushing movement mm-hmm. and then make sure you've got a really good, strong, um, leg base love that that was a lot of exercises <laughs> yeah no not at all it was only a couple but back is absolutely my favorite thing to train I think back yeah. is definitely my favorite absolutely <laughs> whereas chin-ups oh I reckon I've been trying to get on my chin-ups for like 10 years now and I think my goal at one stage was 10 and I think I only got about six and a half and then that's I think I good felt and I was like damn it 
left. <laughs> and now back to like using the band or doing the, what do you call it? The negatives the where you jump ones. up and you slowly lower down. I, yeah. I can barely even do that at the moment. So yeah. we're getting there, but it's a slow, it's a slow progress. It's a great exercise for women to nail. Like even if it's just one or two, it's like, yes. It is. It gives you, yeah, it gives you, but I'm actually, I'm six foot one. Yeah. And so me trying to do a chin yeah. up and I watch some of these like tiny, you know, like they weigh not even 50 kilos. They're sort of five foot tall. And I watch them just doing like 20, 30, pumping them out in a row at my gym. And I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> You'll get there. Definitely. All right. Well, I love that we have that focus on being functionally fit for one, but we mentioned pelvic floor a few times and I really do feel like, particularly myself as a new mum, it's so important. I think I always knew that it was important, but I was like, I'll think about it, you know, when I have a baby or after I have a baby. But why is our pelvic floor something that we should be thinking about in our 20s, in our 40s, in our 70s? Like, what is the pelvic floor first and why is it so important? Yeah. So I guess what just came to mind and not to shock anyone, it's like if your pelvic floor is not working properly, the organs that sit in your pelvis could literally fall out. Um, so as a bit of a, I guess, anatomy lesson for anyone listening, you as a female, you have the bones of your pelvis. So you've got your pelvis and then you've got three organs that sit within the pelvis. There's the bladder, there's the uterus, and then there's, there's the rectum. And the pelvic floor is a group of a set of muscles. It's actually made up of two sets of muscle, muscles. You've got your superficial pelvic floor and also your deep pelvic floor. But those muscles are the ones that contract in order to make sure that those organs don't descend down into the pelvis so if you can imagine the bladder the uterus and the rectum there they're strung up by ligaments um, from from the pelvis Mm -hmm. from the bones of the pelvis Um, ligaments are what we call passive structures which means that when they stretch they don't automatically contract unlike muscles so if you um, if you extend your bicep and then you you bend it that's that's a muscle extending and contracting your ligaments that that hold up the organs of the pelvis they they're like ropes rather than elastics Mm. so if your pelvic floor is functioning well whenever you put your I guess the organs of the pelvis under load so whether you cough create intra-abdominal pressure cough sneeze jump exercise in any way move Mm -hmm. the 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 pressure that's created can push the organs or it does push the organs downwards now the job of the pelvic floor in simple terms is to come in and lift those organs back or to just adjust them a little bit and put them back in place Um, now if the pelvic floor is not functioning well if you imagine that let's say I jump and my pelvic floor doesn't come up Mm -hmm. so I'm doing all these hand movements that I know people can't see but it's just habit so but my hands are pushing up every time I say my pelvic floor should go up um if they're not working and and the the muscles contract just a little bit and I jump my organs are going to descend a little bit from those ligaments and those ligaments are going to stretch and then over time I could keep jumping and jumping and jumping or exercising in the way that I like to do not realizing maybe maybe I've got no symptoms of a weak pelvic floor at this point but over time those organs sit lower and lower and lower within my pelvis and then potentially something happens to the fascia within the pelvis that helps to support those organs and we could end up with something called a pelvic organ prolapse. Mm -hmm. Um, So a pelvic organ prolapse is when any one of the organs within the pelvis of a female um, go into the walls of the vagina and in worst cases sit on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is an extreme case where the organs actually sit on the outside of the the vagina but it does happen. so that's, I guess, the main, the main important thing is that we want those organs to sit nicely inside of our pelvis, not on the outside at any time. Um, women may experience um, like a dragging or a heaviness inside their pelvis if they've got maybe a, 
a slight prolapse or it may get worse as a prolapse, um, I guess, progresses um, mm-hmm. through its grades. They also might experience things like they try and insert a tampon and there's no space for it so it, it comes out or it, it can't be pushed in or maybe they do insert a tampon and then they cough or they do that intra-abdominal pressure causing movement or, or function mm-hmm. and a tampon is pushed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of different symptoms of potentially a prolapse. Um, the other thing is the pelvic floor works in collaboration with lots of uh, with the transverse abdominis in order to keep a, a safe, I mean not safe, a stable mm. um, and assist with that transfer of load. So there's lots of reasons. Like if your pelvic floor is not there, there's a big gaping hole in those muscles. We have adductors and we have glutes and we have all of those other things, but they don't fill the gap of of the pelvic floor muscles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, I think what we all want to try and avoid, right, is a prolapse. Like we don't want to get there. And as you said, there are those different stages or grades of a prolapse. So how can we avoid, hopefully, a prolapse altogether and identify a weak pelvic floor before it gets worse? So what are some signs or, I guess, symptoms that your pelvic floor needs work? And I imagine it's something like, you know, jumping up and down and accidentally letting out a little bit of pee or something like that. But there are any more, I guess, subtle signs um, that we need to do some work. We need to do some work now before potentially things get worse. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Like prevention is always better than a cure. Um, I think my, I'd love to see in the world every postpartum woman or every pregnant woman seeing a pelvic health physio. But if we can't get to that much prevention, every postpartum woman being referred to a pelvic health physio as part of her six-week checkup mm. kind of environment. So that for me is the ideal prevention. An, an asymptomatic woman, so a woman with absolutely no symptoms, seeing a pelvic health physio before she gets any symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the diagnosis of a prolapse now is it has to be symptomatic before it's diagnosed as a prolapse, which for me is a positive thing because I think we also need to be very aware of language and not scaring women. The, the word prolapse can be very scary for some mm, people. Mm. Um, but if we're, let's say a woman sees a pelvic health physio and there's um, some some pushing into the walls of the vagina, if that's not symptomatic, maybe they're not going to say that she has a prolapse. But I think that we need to get women seeing pelvic health physios before there's any symptoms at all so that we prevent the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Back to the original question of what symptoms do we need to look out for? So Mm. any symptoms of a weaker pelvic floor could include things like exactly like you said, um, you jump, so um, stress incontinence, jump, laugh, sneeze, skip, anything like that, and you you leak some urine. Mm. Um, Urge incontinence, so the feeling of, Oh my goodness! I need to go to the toilet. I need to go right now. Otherwise, they can't they can't hold it. Um, any kind of heaviness in in your pelvis, so heavy heavy or dragging feeling, is more specific to prolapse. So the the leaking could be simply a weak pelvic floor. Um, it could be a weak hypotonic pelvic floor because the pelvic floor is not able to contract enough to keep her continent. Um, you know, prolapse could be more moving into fecal incontinence, could be um, not a, not able to hold in wind, could be painful or discomfort during sex. Um, so there's a number of things that could signal prolapse. Um, there's a number of things that could signal weak pelvic floor or looser pelvic floor needs work to prevent prolapse or hypotonic pelvic floor. So signs and symptoms of hypotonic pelvic floor could include could include 
incontinence, exactly the same. Mm. Um, could also include reoccurring urinary tract infections, um, low flow of low flow of urine when you go to the toilet, mm. hesitancy to start going to the toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the urinary tract infections are potentially because she's not able to empty her bladder completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so combined, so the urine sits in the bladder and is prone to infection. Mm-hmm. Combine that with someone that says she's got backache, she has painful sex, maybe glute pain, hip pain. Um, then we start to go, does she have a hypertonic pelvic floor? So I know I've digressed into from prolapse symptoms into lots of other symptoms, right, but yeah especially the hypertonic pelvic floor, there's a lot of women in my experience that suffer UTIs over and over again, painful sex, mm-hmm. um, lower back pain, glute pain that have never, ever, no one's ever said to them, maybe this is a hypertonic pelvic floor. They've gone from gynecologist to GP to other gynecologists, but no one said to them, hey, maybe go see a pelvic health physio because that could be the missing link. Um, so, yeah, really great conversation for people to be aware of understanding different symptoms of pelvic floor that's amazing i honestly reckon just from what you've said in the last minute you've probably changed at least one woman's if not many more so. lives <laughs> out there just listening and being like oh my god jen i've suffered with this for so long this is exactly what's wrong with me yeah. so i just love that i can have these conversations with experts all around the world such as yourself so and we cool. can help people because you know it's so good it's all well and good to say go and see a pelvic health physio um but for some people it's it's completely out of reach mm. Is completed out of the budget and you know the cost of everything is rising right now the you know inflation mortgages groceries that sort of thing so just knowing that um you know we can get help somewhere and we can you know at least know that we're not crazy and there are yeah. potentially a reason for our symptoms is so important isn't it yeah absolutely i think um there is a in australia at least you can go to, so kind of like the mental health plan there's another plan that can include pelvic health Amazing. so if anyone is in that position that um, you know, maybe finances is a barrier, but they're having, you know, any of the symptoms that we've talked about going back to your GP and going, what is, I can't remember the exact name of the plan, um, but going back to them and going, okay, well, how do I get help in this space to see a pelvic health physio? Um, so don't, yeah, I would highly encourage women not to take your normal or no for an answer um, and to see what Medicare can do for them. In, in any given situation. Yeah, we are so fortunate to live in a country where healthcare is, for most people, fairly readily accessible. Yeah. Very lucky. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So say we we have some signs and some symptoms of a weak pelvic floor or potentially even a prolapse. Mm-hmm. What can we do to strengthen it? I think more the prolapse route, you really do need that intensive support from, you know, potentially women's health physio. But before things might get too bad, if we go, oh, sometimes when I do those high intensity hip classes, I pee a little bit or if I'm, you know, I'm running and, you know, I sort of laugh at the same time, I pee a little bit. What are some things we might be able to do at home to help to strengthen up that pelvic floor to stop it progressing into you know, something, something worse. I love this question partly because I want to say I can't tell you without a, a women's health physio, without a pelvic health physio, and I'll explain that. Um, what I would, you can learn a basic pelvic floor contraction, um, but you need to make sure that you're learning the relaxation. So mm. the biggest, I guess, alert that goes off in my head when when I go, oh, you could just, if you're experiencing leaking, you could do, go do, learn pelvic floor exercises at home. So, you know, whether it's lying on your back, basic, like take a natural breath in as you breathe out, gently draw front passage in and up. So gently drawing the walls of the vagina in and up, um, or imagine you've got a tampon inserted, gently squeeze it 
in and up. Um, you could add in transverse abdominis into that. But what I would say is for anyone wanting to learn pelvic floor at home is one, it's 5% of what you think you should do. So it's not this massive, huge, the fitness industry has instilled this like harder must be better mentality into a lot of things. Um, let's get rid of that when it comes to pelvic floor. So think about gently drawing in and up. Also really remembering the relaxation phase because if you've got someone that's experiencing leaking and she has actually a hypertonic pelvic floor and you automatically just say, oh, well, you're leaking, so go do pelvic floor exercises, we could be doing the complete opposite thing to what she actually needs. So she needs relaxation exercises. So if we weren't seeing a women's health physio or pelvic health physio, I'd be saying, hey, those gentle pelvic floor 5% contractions, lying down on your back, um, you know, try and do it. I know we say do pelvic floor when, when you know, you know, if your baby's feeding and, and all that kind of like the kettle's boiling, all that kind of stuff. But if you can find five minutes in the day to actually lie down and tune into what you're doing and tune into the relaxation phase as much as you're tuning, tuning into the contraction phase, because if you cannot feel it relax, potentially pelvic floor activation exercises are the last thing that you need right now. Um, which kind of leads me to why I wanted to just say, well, I can't tell you what to do at home. I can, but um, it's more that every woman's pelvic floor is different Mm. and we can't actually know if you're doing the right thing without that, you know, whether it's real-time ultrasound or internal examination. Um, We've got 50, like 50% of women, you know, the opposite to hypertonic pelvic floor, when they think that they're contracting their pelvic floor up, they're actually pushing out. So they've got that brain muscle connection wrong in their head. So if I said to to you, do 10 pelvic floor exercises and you're actually going home and doing 10 pelvic floor push outs, you can kind of imagine over time that you're training that bearing down movement pattern and then maybe you go into a gym and you're like, you know, I, I, someone said to me, do pelvic floor exercises at home. I've been doing them at home. Now I'm going to the gym. I've been told that I need to contract my pelvic floor at the bottom of a squat. I'm pretty strong. I've been doing what I think is the right pelvic floor exercise, but now I'm going to put myself under a 40, 50, 60 kilo barbell. And when I think I should be contracting my pelvic floor, I'm actually bearing down. Now I'm pushing down under load. So, you know, yes, there are things that we can start to raise an awareness around pelvic floor at home but if seeing a a pelvic health physio even for just one appointment to make sure that you know you're doing your pelvic floor exercises in the right way Mm. is part of you know something that you can do within you know finances time I get that it's you know life is challenging in many different spaces but you'd be better off spending money on one pelvic floor pelvic floor physio appointment and putting a gym membership on hold or putting your trainer off for two or three weeks till you could pay for it and then going forward into the exercise that you want to do rather than just hoping that you're doing your pelvic floor right taking generic advice and then charging back into the gym so maybe that wasn't the answer that everyone wanted <laughs> no I love that because you know we place so much value on health and fitness and wanting to look good and that's all well and good but if you've got a pelvic floor prolapse you're not doing yourself any favors at all are you so I love that we should take care of what I also call in the nutrition space I say create the healthy foundation first yes. there's no point adding supplements in and taking protein powders and BCAAs if we're not eating enough vegetables or if we haven't got the spread of good quality nutrients right throughout the day so it's Absolutely. the same sort of thing you're just ca- taking care of basics first before we move in into other things which I absolutely love yeah yeah don't don't have don't have a bottle of wine on the weekend for three weeks and go and see a pelvic health physio (laughs) 
<laughs> You've got the money there. There you go. Absolutely. Where is it going? To end the podcast, I would love for you to tell our listeners why exercise is so important to our overall health and mental health and why, particularly as females, we shouldn't just be using it to lose weight. Oh my goodness. How long have you got? <laughs> Only a couple of minutes before I promise you that we're wrapping up in the, in the 45 minute time. Yeah, frame. yeah, for sure. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I'm going to go in the direction of why we shouldn't be just using it to lose weight. I Mm -hmm. think that, I mean, as a mum, exercise and movement keeps me sane. Um, Exercise and movement is going to make sure that I can move with my kids as and as and when I I want to. Um, It's going to make sure that I, as an older female, when I when I get there, I'm going to be able to keep moving from a functional capacity. And in terms of weight loss, I think we just need to kind of shift that mindset completely and and think about what we want our bodies to do rather than using exercise solely to look a certain way. I was going to mm. say look and feel a certain way and then I canned the feel because I'm like use it to feel however you want to feel mm. um, but making sure that we're exercising for the right reasons is going to be the best for our mental health outcome in the long run. So, you know, catching ourselves to make sure that we're not using exercise as punishment, that we're not um, exercising to eat something, that we're not using exercise to burn off certain foods um, and that any exercise that we're doing and goals that we set for ourselves are coming from a place of um, knowing that we're worthy in all our shapes and sizes um, rather than, yeah, any of the, I guess, punishment side of things. So, Mm. I'm not sure if I kind of actually answered the question, but yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to add one (laughs) sneaky little final, final, final question in for you. You mentioned that using exercise to feel good. And I feel like Mm. when you regularly exercise, you experience that. And so many people say, I use exercise because it keeps me sane. It's me time away from my kids. I just love the feeling of like, and it feels bad, like the hurt afterwards. I'm like, oh, that's good pain. Like I push myself, I'm building, I feel like stronger. I can carry all the shopping bags in one trip. Like I like that feeling of being strong. But for somebody who's not exercising, it's overwhelming, particularly Mm. after I had a bub. I hadn't been, I think I stopped the gym around 37 weeks pregnant because my belly was so big. I was like, I just don't feel comfortable being here. I was like whacking my belly with my dumbbells and I was like, (laughs) I gotta stop. So for me, it was a good, I think four or five months before I'd even set Mm -hmm. foot in a gym. And it was just that overwhelming feeling where I'd be like, all right, I'm going to start this week okay I'm going to start next week okay I'm going to start next week so what's your one piece of advice for people males and females who just feel overwhelmed when it comes to exercise they haven't been doing it for a lot of people during COVID they've completely stopped for some people it's a good year it's two it's two and a half three years since they've really done any continuous exercise and it just feels so overwhelming to get Mm. back into it so what's your one piece of advice for us to just start without the overwhelm absolutely I think um small progressive goals So, you know, you might not go to the gym on the day that you say you're going to get get back into exercise, but you might go for a walk. Um, And then the next day you might go for a slightly longer walk and then the next day you might get to the gym. But I think removing the all or nothing mentality is really, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Setting those really little goals and then also giving yourself permission not not to go hard all the time because... We don't need to or we shouldn't be going hard all the time. And sometimes um, sometimes when a workout doesn't feel good, exactly like you said, it does the opposite and it makes us 
feel shit instead of mm. feeling good. And then we layer this la- this layer of judgment on ourselves that is, well, the workout was supposed to make me feel good and then it didn't make me feel good and now I feel crap. So therefore there's something wrong with me because my workout didn't make me feel the way that I expected or I wanted it to. And if we can just go like abandon a workout, like I had a run, run an interval session set last week and I got halfway through and the old me probably would have just gone, no, push through it. Like, it, you know, it's all or nothing, no excuses, get it done. And now it was like, I don't need to keep doing this workout right now. I can switch from a hard run to a walk and still move my body and still know that I didn't fail and know that next week when my run interval set, which happened to me this week, I did it and it was hard, but it was fine and it did make me feel good. So permission to take it slow and listen to where you are physically and mentally on any given day so that you layer that success and it becomes easier rather than just feeling like you failed and you abandon abandon all hope. <laughs> Love it. And you've touched on two principles, which I also cover in the podcast. It's just that small progress and what I call 10% better. So yes. you don't have to schedule an hour workout on Monday morning, which is hundred percent go hard or go home. It can be 10 minutes and it can be just walking to begin with, or it can be 10 minutes of some pelvic floor exercises while you're watching Netflix on TV. Yep. So we don't have to start Monday. It doesn't have to be a full workout and walking absolutely counts as positive movement, doesn't it? Agreed. Well, Jen, you have a wonderful free program for mums, so I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about that and also where they can find you and follow you on social media. Absolutely. Thank you. So we have a program called Safe Return to Exercise for New Mums. It is designed to bridge that gap between six-week checkup, which we know is not enough to return to the exercise you were doing beforehand, and returning to the exercise that you love. So we take we take women through a five-phase process. We go through understanding her birth experience. We talk about mental health. We talk about understanding your physical body. We go into exercises that you can start to do at home, and then we help her to find a trainer um, or help her to understand how to find a trainer that is right for her if that's the movement that she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it does say for new mums, but if you're a mum out there that's had no kind of postnatal guidance, either from a trainer, from a pelvic health physio, then it's going to give you information that you might not have have learned beforehand. Mm. So um, you can find that on the MumSafe website. Mm. It's mumsafe.com.au. And if you are a mum that is looking for a trainer for you, you can go to the MumSafe website and search your location and find a trainer in your area. Um, And I guess if there's any random... Uh, not random, but if there's any trainers listening, then my website is gendugard.com and that's where you can find all the certifications and education for trainers themselves that want to support mums further. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been honestly an enlightening chat. Like I thought I knew a little, but you've definitely even taught you me something today. <laughs> you definitely knew a lot. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I'll make sure I list some of the links that you mentioned in our show notes so our listeners can find them there as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me.